freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Huard, Huard. And Brooke Huard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Huard and Mike Salk. All right, here we go. It is Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710CLSports.com and the Seattle Sports app, not to mention... Podcast platforms everywhere that you can find them. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for starting your day here. Hopefully you're not in New York. First time they've ever seen smoke. First time it's ever happened here in America. Oh, now it's in New York. Now it matters. Now it's real. It's not out west where they deserve it. Now it's here in New York. It's come to us. How dare the smoke be here? This is a real story now. This is affecting me, and I'm a New Yorker. Oh, my gosh. It's the equivalent of six cigarettes. Ah. Canceled a lot of games. I bet they did. Canceled WBA Are we using game. East Coast bias for wildfires now? You don't think they do? Dude, everything's East Coast bias. I live there. Trust me. You know. You know how it is. Nothing's real until it comes to the Northeast. New York is has a particular particular sickness about it. But, but Boston, Philly, D.C., it's all the same. I mean, everybody kind of has that there. It's like my dad. I mean, we talk about my dad, but today is today. Congratulations to my dad. One year ago today, Larry Salk, my dad had his heart attack. Oh, wow. And here he is wow, a year a ago. Year. Yeah, it's been a full year. He told me that yesterday. He said, you know what tomorrow is? I said, I had absolutely no idea. <laughs> He's like, June 8th. It's like, yeah, it's not a day that rings. What, what is <laughs> I don't know what. Did Columbus do something? Like, what do you mean? What's June 8th? He's like, oh, it's the day I had my heart attack. Oh, I didn't even even put that together. So I congratulated Columbus him. On, huh? He said to Columbus. I mean, something. I don't know. Columbus or I don't maybe uh, Ponce de Leon. Anyway, uh, well, it's been. congrats on thriving, Larry Salk. Yes, exactly. But it hasn't changed him in terms of his, you know, East Coast bias. I mean, my dad is still like, <laughs> well, I don't know. Didn't uh, the Red Sox used to have a guy named that? Like, yeah, dad, he left the Red Sox and continued to play baseball. As strange as that may sound, but. Anyway, they, well, my uh, dad has that too, but he he knows where they went if they're doing well. Like he's like, oh, Waka, doing great over there for the Padres. Why couldn't we have paid him? My my dad would never think to even know that. <laughs> it would be like Waka, hmm, like our Waka. Like, <laughs> yeah, Dad, it's the same guy. Like he left and he didn't get swallowed up into a hole. He just went to another team that you don't care about as much. Huh, we used to have a guy named Walker. Like, yeah, all right, thanks, Dad. Very, very helpful. Anyway, uh, we will uh, talk to Jerry DePoto about what is going on with his team at 8.30. It's obviously a mess. I mean, it just, it's not good. Um, yesterday was disheartening. I'm glad I didn't get to watch it. I was over at Seahawks practice, and we can kind of talk through that here in a few minutes. Uh, it was an interesting day and ran into a very, uh, very interesting human being while I was there, and I will I will share um, so I didn't get to watch the Mariners yesterday. I listened to a lot of it. I, yeah, I mean, like, guys, you, you gotta take you gotta take momentum that you seem to be building and do something with it. I, I really do firmly believe that baseball is not linear, but at some point you have to string together wins. And you've now been blown out. What is it? Five times in your last eight games. That yeah, that that's ten plus. I think of that about. Yeah, I mean that that's that's obviously an unacceptable result and unacceptable everything. So, 
I mean, like the reaction. That's it. Yep. Like a Mr. Ed style That's reaction of just a horse blown out its lips like that. Right? Mm-hmm. I, There's no words. That's the way I feel. They are really, really not hitting in a way that is truly shocking for this team. Did you know that I think Eugenio Suarez, I saw this yesterday, Eugenio Suarez, who was brought here to hit home runs. I mean, like, that's what he does, right? If nothing else, Suarez hits home runs. Justin, check this for me if you have a second. I think his on-base percentage is higher than his slugging percentage. Like, yeah. What what do you do with that? Mm, OBP three thirteen, slugging three twenty four. Okay, so it's just ahead yeah. right now. OPS is six thirty seven. But it, and obviously that's an unacceptable number. But I mean, why? It's not because of the three thirteen on base percentage. That's not great, or whatever you said it was. That's not great. But it's not like gonna kill you that one of your power hitters is getting on base thirty one percent of the time. That's not bad. Those strikeouts aren't killing you. He's not hitting for any power. Last year he slugged 459. This year it's 329? 324. Dude. I mean, like, you want to know why you've got a problem? Go back in time. Can you give me a slugging percentages for the years before that, too? Yeah. So slugging in 2022 was 459. 21, 428. Uh, 2470. His highest was 2019. It was 572. Okay. And this year it's 325. 324. You know, it, it's, it's, it's more, we were talking about him the other day, right? In terms of was it a reasonable expectation that he continue to do what he did last year since he was a throw in in the deal? It's a fair question. All right. Maybe last year was better than expected. It was, in fact, not maybe. Last year was better than expected. Should you have bet on him doing the same thing this year? No. All right, fine. Maybe not. Maybe last year was better than anyone expected. But did you expect him for the first time in his career to have an op- uh, a, a, on a slugging percentage more than 100 points below where it's always been? No. I, I don't mean you personally. Did anybody? Of course not. Right, lowest of his career. By far, I would guess. And so... and I get, I get that. I guess at, just at a certain point, it's like... Uh, Okay, but do we just keep saying like these players should have been better, or is there a like are you expected to figure out a way to make them better? I <laughs> yeah, I mean the answer to those things is yes to, to tough, all of it, but, right? Like yeah. what? Sh- I mean, if you if you want to go back, should they have traded him in the off season? Right? I mean, like if if the argument is. Should have seen this coming with Eugenio Suarez. I'm not putting that that's argument not, on you. To me, that's not the argument. The argument is just like, our, I, I feel like you were relying on some of these guys to, you didn't bring anyone else to supplement if he right. wasn't as good. I don't care if you keep him here. He he was He's good defensively, and he right. does hit home runs you expected. But I don't know. I think that there should have been some more to fall back on if he didn't. Yeah, I think that's fair. Right. You should have had more options. And maybe some of that is, you know, you didn't have enough prospects. Maybe you didn't wait long enough in your system to have enough guys ready to to, to pounce. Maybe the sort of, you know, bites at the apple, sort of the last wave of free agency, you needed to do a better job. Although, you know, I don't know that there was a third baseman out there that would have, I mean, like, were you going to not play him? Right? I guess I'm just saying, like, when you hear Jason Churchill say, like, 
this season depends on him and Teoscar getting going. I don't know if the season should depend on a Eugenio Suarez. Like Teoscar, I understand a little more. You brought him in, yeah, as your like he should be your power guy. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, that's a good point. I see it that way. Okay, yes, but unfortunately, the guys that it was supposed to depend on before them have also not yes. come anywhere close to your expectation. <laughs> That's how we are. Right. We are, I mean, the yeah. problem is, while I don't necessarily disagree with you, you can point to every one of these positions and be like, well, it's happening at third base. Well, it's happening at second base. Yeah. By the way, Colton Wong had never been anything like this. Never in his career has he been like this. He's unwatchably bad right now. So he, he's laughable. AJ Pollock has never been like this. Julio was not supposed to be like this, Right. Tay Oscar, as we've talked about, has never been like this. He's been a significantly better player the last few years. Ty France has not been like, I mean, he's not that far off, but he's been better in each of his seasons so far. So it's like, yeah, all right, you should have done more. And maybe if they had had one more player, a DH or whatever that spot is, you would look at it and say, all right, fine. That would be, that would have helped. But I don't know that it would have solved this. I don't know that it would have solved this problem. So I, 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 I grant you some of that argument. I think you're, you're, you make a fantastic point. Can't really argue with it. Except that you look around and go, but it's here and it's here and it's here and it's here. And if you can't bet on Julio and Suarez or, or Tay Oscar or this guy or that guy, at some point, like, that's just the nucleus you created. And... I still think that those are mostly good players. A lot of them are having the worst season of their career. They're all doing it at once. And we got to fight. You know, if you're the Mariners, you got to figure out why. If it's a messaging issue, you've got to change the messaging. If it's a if it's a coaching issue, you've got to change how you're coaching. If it's a picking the groceries issue, you got to change some of your process for how you're picking the groceries. You got to do something. What's your biggest fear of it being? Because it's like you think of chemistry and things that you can't, that aren't on a stat sheet. The biggest fear is that your nucleus guys aren't as good as you thought, right? Yeah. And that's not really Eugenio and and Tay Oscar. They're the guys you brought in to help. The nucleus guys are the Kelnicks and... and, Raleigh and Julio. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's the guys, and I think Ty France, I would put on that list, who, who grew up here, right? I mean, like, that's the fear. I don't think that those guys are bad and they haven't been as bad as the additions that were brought in to elevate them to the next level. So my worst fears for the future, they're not that bad, but for this season, they're very bad because for whatever reason, this entire group has performed so far below their career norms and what's a reasonable expectation for them that 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 you just you, you find a team that is playing unacceptable baseball right now. So we'll ask Jerry about it. We'll try to get his point of view. That'll happen at eight thirty this morning. We'll come right back. Give you everything you need to know. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on seven ten. Need to know fifteen minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Really, really enjoyed watching the Seahawks work at minicamp yesterday. It made me wonder how the Jets could have possibly canceled those practices. I'm out there watching, right, and seeing these guys and all the work that's getting done, the rookies and all that. And I'm thinking the Jets just didn't want to do this. 
They didn't want to take advantage of these three practices that you can have at this time of year. Don't they have rookies? Don't they have new players? Don't they have people they want to integrate into their system? I guess that's what happens when you sell your soul for Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. Overall, uh, it sure looked like the Seahawks. We're having a lot of fun out there. Great competition. The defense, I thought, looked good again. More, you mentioned that they had a good day the other day. I thought they did again yesterday. And I don't know, maybe seven on seven is the strength of this defense because you can't run on them and you can't, you know, kind of hit to some of their weaknesses. But they sure looked pretty good offensively. I'll tell you who looks awesome every time he's out there because he's so smooth is Jackson Smith and Jigba. You just can't help but see the smoothness. DK Metcalf, pretty impressed. I mean, he's come in and he's treated it like he's a, a vet already. He knows how to run routes. He, he knows his body. He knows how to catch. Um, so it's really just teaching him the playbook. And, you know, he's already ahead of the curve of, of learning, um, you know, the technique that Sanjay's teaching. So, um, I mean, he's just fitting right in uh, with the drills and with the plays that we call him. Yeah, he, he is smooth. There's no doubt he's open. He's got unbelievable hands, but he's not the only wide receiver take, people are taking notice of. More, you mentioned him first. DK backed him up yesterday. D. Eskridge looking like an NFL guy. From last year to now, I think he's a totally different player. Um, he, he's been explosive off the line of scrimmage, catching everything, um, knows where to line up. Um, I mean, he's teaching me stuff since I've, I haven't been here uh, for a couple weeks. So he's teaching me stuff about the offense, uh, little details about the routes that I didn't know before. So, uh, I mean, he's just locked in uh, more than ever. So it's more, for him, it's more than just being healthy there? Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, with D, is just getting him on the field. Uh, he's been special this whole camp, and, you know, we've seen how special he could be. Um, but injuries just have played him uh, throughout his career. So when, once he gets on the field and once he steps on the field, you're going to see how special he is. Well, certainly that would help. If they are able to get some production out of that spot, a guy who they spent a second-round pick, their top pick in that draft on, who's done very little in his NFL career, that would be a huge boon for this offense moving forward. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, whatever positive momentum the Mariners might have garnered from Tuesday's win was immediately lost as they once again had their doors blown off yesterday. It makes five blowouts in their last eight games. They continue to slip below 500 and fall further out of the AL West. You know, we're at the point in the season you want to put a nice run together and you look at our team and I think we're certainly capable of doing that, but it's a combination of things. You know, you need to have consistent starting pitching. You need guys in the bullpen to step up, but ultimately you got to score runs. You know, it's going to take more than four hits. Uh, in a game, any game, to win it. And uh, that's been the, the most frustrating thing. I thought we, we've had some good at-bats last night. Didn't really carry over into today. And uh, that's what it's going to take. Uh, I believe we have the team to do it. We have not done it so far this year. Well, they certainly haven't, and he's right. I mean, the pitching has faltered a little bit during this uh, last eight games. As we said, five blowouts. Take some bad pitching to make that happen. But they've continued to struggle to hit, even just to put balls in play. He did. He's got a really good changeup, and he's been throwing the ball really well. Um, he's been leaning on his changeup more. He'll throw some fastballs first time through the lineup, first time through the order, and then after that, kind of get into the slow curve balls and the changeups, and that's his pitch. Um, you know, we didn't do much with it at all today. Um, you have to give him credit. Like I said, he is on a good roll. Uh, it's, um, you know, there's pitches there to hit. You know, we, we didn't get him to play or really do a whole lot of, with it. Um, you know, we did get something to hit. I mean, I think that's Scott's version of accountability there, right? There were pitches there to hit. We didn't hit him. He's not just tipping his cap to Michael Walker. He's saying you got to hit him. You got to do something with those cookies when they come into the zone. And once again yesterday, this offense failed to do that. Here's the third thing you need to know. 
The Seahawks announced a new team for their preseason media broadcast as they will move to King 5 this season. No Kurt Menefee this year. It'll be Kate Scott and Mike Robinson doing the game with some help from Michael Bennett. Then Paul Sylvie, KJ Wright will handle the pre and post game and halftime duties. So as for Scott, who's probably not as well known to Seattleite, she currently does play by play for the 76ers. She joined Bump and Stacy yesterday and actually has quite a Seattle connection. So excited uh, to get back to the Pacific Northwest because Stacy. Uh, the first city that I ever flew to as a play-by-play announcer years ago. So I've been calling local sports, working my way up high school, college in the Bay Area. Uh, but the first time I ever got hired to call a game away from where I've been based uh, was up in Seattle. So that is pretty special to me that I'm coming back now. The uh, loudest game I was ever sideline reporter at was at Lumen Field. Nice. So it's, uh, it's pretty full circle just to be coming back to Seattle. Yeah, very cool, and uh, I'm looking forward to hear. I heard really good things about Kate Scott. I hadn't heard her or uh, or know her, but I've heard excellent things about her. By the way, anybody following the A's mess in Vegas last night as the Nevada uh, State Senate had their meeting special session? Oh man, so far news has not gone well for that. No, I mean like they're all like this is. I mean they're crushing the A's who have terrible answers to all their questions. I don't know whether. The, Nevada's going to pay for anything for them. They'll probably work out some behind-the-scenes deal. It'll be super sketchy, but, man, that is an ugly scene. All right, that's everything you need to know. Do that quarter past every hour. Nuggets dominate game three, by the way, if you're, uh, if you're paying attention. Uh, some of your texts here on the Mariners, 866-979-3776. That is the Mac and Jack's text line. Uh, 206 says, leave Julio out of it at this point. He's picked it up. He is not the problem. Fair. Yeah, he has picked it up. But I, I think you're sort of looking at why you are where you are. Um, Mike, I got to say, as a lifelong fan of the Mariners, this is the most disappointed I've ever been. This team stinks. So frustrating. Yeah, I I think I understand that. It's very fr- totally agree about the frustration uh, service. Stop. Well, it says batching about only four hits yet. <laughs> you have three guys in your lineup hitting under 200. Well, what is he? What, what would you like him to do? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, is he supposed to put different people in his lineup? He's only got a 26 man roster. That's, you know, who's there? Uh, Let's see. This squad does not put the ball in play enough. Can't be a successful offense if you don't have multiple opportunities to score. So the poor base running at times looms large. This team needs more speed. Look, I I actually don't know whether that's the case. I don't I, I mean, I understand that some of the guys don't put the ball in play enough. I'm with Shannon. I'm with Divish. I'm with a few other people who have said, you're just not hitting for the kind of power that you've hit for in the past. Right. The slugging with thing we just talked about with Eugenio is the part that... That's I, the issue. He's, in some cases, 250 points below where he's been. Right. That is... You can't account for that. No. I mean, like, you, you, you just need to hit some more home runs. And they're not doing that. And at first, you could sort of say the weather and the marine layer and the ballpark and all, and, and all those things have some real effect. But at this point, as you're going through Texas and San Diego and, you know, like... You, you got to hit home runs. That's what you do. That's what you're built on. Certainly your home run hitters are built on that, and they haven't done it much this year. All right, we'll come back to the Mariners a little bit later at 7 o'clock. Uh, let's uh, shift gears as the Seahawks were out there practicing yesterday. Spoke to Bob Condota about it. I have some of my own observations. Stick around. You'll hear it all next. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. 
All right, busy morning here. And the Seahawks, of course, uh, had their first of three mandatory minicamp practices yesterday. They'll have one more today. We'll speak with uh, Derek Hall before that, and then uh, we'll have that interview for you tomorrow. And I'll make my way out there for a little bit today and uh, probably tomorrow as well. Mora was there yesterday. So was our next guest, Bob Condota of the Seattle Times, who covers the Seahawks. Why Bob? Why not Rob or Robert? Do you always go with Bob? Is that uh, since childhood, Bob? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it was my choice, I guess. It was just what my family called me, so I just kind of went with it. But, right. yeah. What about see, Bob? I could see you as a Robert. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I mean, that. well, that's my official first name, but right. nobody ever, ever called me that. Yeah, I so, can't like, see you yeah, as a Rob or a Robbie or anything like that, though. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I, I guess I've never given it that much thought, to be honest with you. I guess I should have. Well, I will tell you, in previous drafts during the COVID years, you were definitely a bob. I mean, the hair was everywhere. You, you kind of cleaned up yeah. that little bit this year. You cut it down, maybe a little more Robert now, a little more fine and refu- uh, refined. Yeah, well, that was kind of just a COVID thing, I guess, for that year when, you know, you didn't do that. They just kind of kept it for a little while. Right. <laughs> Trying to get right. back to normal now. What would you, yeah. you see out there yesterday, Bob? <laughs> Um, what was, it was nice sort uh, what I guess continues to strike me is just some of the rookies that you, you know, you like kind of seeing them. And when you get all the veterans out there and, and most of the veterans have all been out there, but, um, you know, continuing to see those guys kind of uh, just, um, you know, I thought Jackson uh, Smith and Jigba had a pretty good day, uh, just kind of running around. I mean, it's just kind of been the worry about with his hamstring and stuff like that, but you know, you see him continuing to just do a lot of stuff and kind of, you know, one day after the next, after the next, he hasn't, you know, had any setbacks or anything with that. So, um, you know, that's, that's sort of encouraging. Um, you know, I, I thought Zach Sarbanes kind of showed up for me a little, little bit yesterday, just watching him run around and watching the receivers catch passes and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, you sort of see uh, Teddy McIntosh too. I, I think he had a touchdown in one of the, um, in, in one of the uh, goal line sessions that they had catching a pass out of the backfield. Um, so just, I don't know, the, the rookies always really catch my eye this time of year. Um, and then just, you know, the quarterback spot, just seeing, um, you know, again, it's uh, this time of year is always tricky because, you know, the, the, the way the rules are, they can't necessarily make, you know, huge plays on the ball. They kind of have to, you know, everybody has to try to avoid contact. But, uh, you know, just kind of seeing some of the battles that DK was having with guys like uh, with Artie Burns and Trey Brown and stuff like that was fun to watch. And and it's just, I think it's a pretty feisty secondary. I think, I think the secondary, once they get it all put together, if you get Jamal Adams back into that, we saw him there yesterday. It's, it's going to be really interesting to me to see how they play at work out all these roles and that it should be a lot better, I think, than it was last year. The great Sir Robert Condota from the Seattle Times joining us this morning. Why do you think these rookies have come to life so much the last two years? I mean, last year's class, we saw it during this time of the year, and then they exploded onto the scene and, and really took their opportunities and ran with it. What, five-plus starters as rookies last year? It feels like this rookie class has taken a page right out of that book. Why have they come to life so much in these last couple years as you've covered this team, Bob, for a decade plus, and that wasn't necessarily the case in many of the draft classes? Well, the the one boring, obvious answer is just, you know, it's a lot of high picks. I mean, you've got four of the top 53 picks out there. You would hope that you got some guys that look like they could come in and play immediately. And that was sort of the case last year, too, with that, with having some, some really high picks. You know, they've, they've drafted maybe a little bit more for need, or I mean, best, kind of both. I mean, last year I felt 
you know, they did draft for need. I mean, you can, you know, you can talk best player available, but they needed offensive tackles. And then they went and used two of their top three picks on tackles. And, and they hit big on both those guys, you know, that, that look like they're going to be bookend tackles for a long time. This year, I think because of some of the successes of what they did last year, they were able to go a little bit more best player available and just kind of, uh, you know, they, they still, because they had enough draft ammunition, you could sort of do both, right? Because you knew, well, we got five or six pretty high picks, so we could kind of go best player available in the order while still checking off things we know we need, like another running back and things like that. So, um, you know, I think it's just adding a lot of, a lot of guys, a, 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 a lot of guys that spots where there was sort of an immediate need for guys to step in and, and play right away. And so then you see that show up. I really like what they've done, obviously, the last couple of years. Everybody seems to, and for good reason. The one concern I have, though, is maybe how much they're counting on this next group of rookies to do what last year's class did right away. How how important is it for this team to have their rookies succeed as rookies this year? Yeah, well, that's and I mean, last year, I think just with, like, the tackles, I, I think there was there – was, somewhat of an even bigger risk there because, you know, if it's for some reason Charles Cross hadn't worked out or whatever, mm-hmm. you were really going to be back to square one. I, I don't know that this year's class has necessarily – I mean, you're not looking at any guy there as if this guy doesn't pan out, the season's going to go away. It's it's a little bit more of a – if, you know, if, if Jackson Smith and Jigba is really what we think he's going to be, then we've got a three-man receiving trio that's going to be as good as anybody's in the NFL. So I think there's sort of a little bit more of that kind of upside with this year's class. You know, even – I mean, even Witherspoon's sort of that way. I mean, it's – you know, they've got some good corners, obviously, with, with Tariq Wollin and – and, uh, you know, Mike, Mike Jackson, you know, playing pretty well last year, but kind of looking like he's t- taking a step forward this year, Trey Brown being back to health and all that. So, you know, if Witherspoon really turns out to be all that, then you've really got, you know, you've really got a quarterback core that could just be a lot better than it was uh, than it was last year. So I, I think there's a little bit less of that. But um, where I would agree with you for sure is just the defensive lineman. I mean, you need Derek Hall to, to, to be a guy who can come in and contribute right away as an edge rusher. You're going to need Mike Morris to be able to step into a – key role as, as one of the interior defensive line. Um, but, you know, I, if, if, if neither of that happens, I don't know that it necessarily kills the season. I think it's just more of if those things do happen, then this, this team could really take that step for being a nine-win team to, you know, maybe even be an 11 or a 12-win team. Do you feel like you know, covering this team, who Jamal Adams is the last three years? Well, it's, it's, it, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's been hard to really get a sense of that because we've seen him so little in so many ways, you know, um, He's just kind of battled injuries, obviously, since since he got here, and, and then even during the off-season programs and stuff like that, he's you know kind of been coming off surgeries. It seems like all the time, so it's been hard to get that sense. It, it, you know, I don't think it's breaking news. I mean, this is going to be a make-or-break year for him but with the contract that he has and the way it's set up for the future. Um, you know, they're committed to him for this year and to try and to and to hope he gets healthy and to hope he can uh, hope they can find a role for him or. or with, he can really be a defensive playmaker, and if and if not, then they'll have a you know a hard decision to make, or maybe even not that hard of a decision to make after this season, depending on how it goes. Um, but you know, I think we're going to see him play, uh, you know, a lot more as a as a as a closer to the line, you know, as an in the box player, and, and I think they they want to use the three safety sets a lot that way. And that's you know another guy that I haven't mentioned yet. But when you talk about the secondary and how it's going to fit together, is Julian Love and. Um, you know, you see him obviously working with, with the starters a lot with Quandre, and you see them moving those guys around a lot, and then you envision what they're going to do with Jamal when he comes back. And, I, you know, Julian Love's going to find his way out of the field a lot, even when Jamal comes back, because I think they want to do that a lot with kind of using three safeties and just trying to mix and match those guys quite a bit. So, 
um, you know, the danger there, I guess, can be if you try to have everybody do too much or do not, you know, they were so successful, obviously, in the LOB era when they just sort of threw four defensive backs out there and they knew what their role was at every play and they played every snap and that was that. Um, you know, with this with this group, you could have a little bit more trying to, you know, have specialty packages and things like that. But I think that's a little bit the way the NFL is going to try to combat what offenses are doing. Mora told me yesterday that uh, Witherspoon was actually working inside at nickel a little bit. Is that to set up sort of a competition almost between Mike Jackson and Kobe Bryant? Um, well, I, you know, we haven't seen Kobe Bryant. And so I, I, we didn't, uh, we've only been able to talk to Pete once in the last three weeks. And, we, and I, I, we didn't ask what the situation is with Kobe. So we haven't seen him out there. So I, I don't know if some of this is simply that, uh, um, you know, he hasn't been practicing. And so then obviously somebody's got to play the nickel spot. So they're trying to roll some guys through there. You know, they did, I, I wrote about this a little bit for my story for today. I, you know, on draft night, they did say that, um, that was a spot they would consider Witherspoon playing is, is the nickel. So it's possible they just were throwing him in there for some of those snaps yesterday to get, to get a feel for how that would look. Um, and, uh, you know, and the uh, Trey Brown yesterday, because of that, who had been doing some nickel, uh, seemed to be mostly playing on the outside. And, um, you know, they've had Jarek Reed playing some of the nickel as well. The, the, the six round pick, he's a really interesting player also. Um, so, you know, this is sort of the time of year you do some of that and you let guys get a lot of snaps and you see what it looks like before you then take the break for training camp. Um, so you have some film of guys doing that. So my sense is it's probably as much that as anything. But, um, you know, I, I think it's something they, they certainly would consider if it's a way to get what they what they would feel like is, is their three best corners on the field. I mean, I think that's ultimately what they're going to want to do is, you know, find who your three best corners are and get them on the field at the spots where you feel like they could be the most effective. You miss Russell Wilson. Um, well, I mean, I, I do in the sense that it was it, it was obviously it really uh, it was fun and interesting having you know one of the best most uh, um, most highlighted spotlighted quarterbacks in the NFL to, to cover for ten years. So um, for sure, I, I mean, I, I sort of miss what yeah. the, the way the way it was with Russell for a lot of those years. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't. I, obviously, it's you know it's wasn't the it wasn't the most graceful of exits and all of that. And, um, and you know, the team is, is, I, I think, I, I think we're going to look and, and feel like they're going to be, they're going to have been a lot better off having made that move when they did for all that they got. Um, you know, from, even if you just looked at it purely from a football perspective, what they were able to get in terms of the draft picks and the cap savings and things like that moving forward, you know, it looks like they've really positioned them well that way. So if you're talking about just today, I mean, I think they're better off obviously with what happened, but you know, for sure. I mean, I don't think you can ever look back and not say it wasn't a lot of fun having, you know, fun and interesting um, having him around for all those years. I think in 97, Bob, you wrote a piece about me being in the best shape of my life. And since 97, you've written an article on every Seahawk. (laughs) That was Huskies back in the day. This guy's come in the best shape of his life. Tongue in cheek, obviously. You don't do that. But it is said quite commonly on those sidelines by coaches, by teammates. I'll tell you what, man, and maybe it's because he's rolling his sleeves up, you know, to follow in the footsteps of that Russell Wilson question right there. Geno Smith just looks to the eye like a different guy. I mean, physically, he does. And I know he's posted some videos and he's talked about it and Pete even talked about it. Like you can't wear him down. Do your eyes see a just equipped and built Geno Smith in a way that they hadn't been even in the previous few years? Yeah. And, you know, and we didn't, uh, I think when we talked to Geno, I don't know if we asked him specifically if he, if he put on some, 
some weight at all, but I would agree with you. He, he definitely does sort of look at that when you just kind of look at his biceps and everything. And he seems to wear his, his, his jerseys in a way that uh, I think let us see that as well. I think he's, I think he's sort of proud of it, of, of, of the work he's done there. But he did mention that, uh, that, you know, he knows he's in a different spot now where unlike last year where, you know, everything was sort of focused on winning the job. Now he knows the job is his. And so the job, so everything he did this offseason was focused on, okay, I've, uh, how to be the best quarterback I can be for a 17-game season. And, you know, and not – and then, you know, he played every snap last year. So it's not as if he had – as if he uh, – uh, necessarily wore down or anything, but he did suffer, yeah. you know, a couple of little injuries here and there uh, that you inevitably do just taking the hits that you take during the season. And, and I think that's what he wants to, you know, uh, obviously he got off to a great start last year and then, and then everything about everything sort of, um, you know, not just him, obviously there were defensive issues that sort of put him in some bad spots at times, but you know, they, they I mean, they won six of their first nine games and then they lost six of the last nine games, if you, if you include the playoffs. And so I think, that's what he wants as the leader this year to be like, you know, the goal this year is just to get off to a good start, but to uh, be able to maintain that for 17 games and into hopefully playing 18, 19, 20. Okay. Last two really quick questions here. And they both are uh, hard hitting. So brace yourself, buckle up. (sighs) Top three Seahawks who will look best in the throwback uniforms top three when they play Cleveland. And as you tweeted this morning, they're probably going to wear them in Dallas too. So we're going to get to see him twice. Who will look best in that throwback uni? Top three. Well, I mean, I, DK Metcalf. I mean, it's just impossible not for him to <laughs> not just look good in anything he does out there. Um, you know, I'll go with Bobby Wagner for the other, just because he's so you know seeing uh, you know the, the one guy who's left from from the Super Bowl team where you know then be able to wear that. I think I think that group of players. Wanted and hoped to be able to do that forever, and then um, let's see for a third. I'll, I'll go with Tariq Woolen. That you know, he's another guy. He just always really kind of stands out on the field out there. Yeah, no, they're very very good answers. Uh, two of them I would totally agree with. Third, you know, maybe Salk and I will argue about. Uh, lastly, I said Michael Dixon. A little surprised yeah. that you didn't go. Yeah, with the yeah. I mean, well, we'll get to that when Bob leaves. <laughs> lastly, is there any truth to the rumor that the media has decided to also go throwback attire? No that you're going to go 70s, 80s attire, you're going to bring back your grunge look. Um, is there any truth to the matter that the media has just all decided you collectively? Bob, Bob's not going to wear skinny jeans. He's going to go old yeah. school. And Art Teal doesn't well, have to worry about it. Most people would say my wardrobe hasn't evolved since the 70s, <laughs> so I don't have to go throwback. I just take whatever is laying around. But uh, that, would be a, that would be a fun thought, yeah, for sure. Okay. Everybody to just kind of... Uh, um, yeah, I mean, in some of the yeah, some of the media like you know, like Tim Booth of the AP and the guys like that kind of just look that way all the time anyway as well. True, so. true. A return to the '80s with Bob or Bobby or Rob or Robbie or Robert Condota, however you want to call him, he goes by Bob, and we appreciate it, Bob. Thanks for uh, taking some time with us. We'll see you over there later today. Okay. All right. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, good stuff there from Bob Condota. Does a great job, of course, with the Seattle Times covering this team. And I did go over yesterday. Uh, it was an interesting day over there. So just to kind of you know clue you guys in. So we talked to um, Derek Hall, Seahawks rookie, second round pick, outside linebacker. He's going to join us here at seven thirty. I'll play you that interview. Brock was on for it. Also, it was great. It was really fun. I really enjoyed him. Uh, Justin was there with me in person. You guys have to understand. And I know that we'll end up talking about it afterwards. His knees are gigantic. I don't understand. Laura, they're huge. That's not something that I thought was bigger. And and yet that that's how big he is. I sent I sent the picture and 
I, well, first of all, I sent it to my buddy. Shout out to my buddy, Paul. He's a huge <laughs> fan. Uh, he, a huge listener. I shouldn't say fan. Huge listener of the station. Okay. And uh, he, the first thing he said was, those legs. Right. <laughs> and the legs are big. I mean, like. The legs are big. The legs are big. But. The knees stand out, don't they? That's that's the thing. That's the thing that, like, you see, like, my God, his knees. Like, he's just a really. He has imposing knees. He does. Yes. I was legitimately intimidated by his knees, which I don't think I've ever said before. Um, he was great. Really, you know, smart, introspective, thoughtful, has a great story, understands his place in the world, I think. And, uh. You're gonna love it. I just, I just, I'll just say that you guys are gonna love it. I can't imagine you not enjoying his interview coming up at 7:30 this morning. So uh, stick around for that. Uh, then uh, I took off for a little while, came back, and um, had a, a t- interesting time just kind of watching them first indoors, then outdoors. By the way, did I tell you I found out why they still work indoors even when it's 80 degrees and beautiful out? No. I did a little. I did a little digging. Investigative. Journalism. I did some serious investigative journalism. You know your podcast voice. Was? Yeah, you know you got to find out the important truths in the world, right? Turns out the reason that they work inside in addition to outside is that sometimes during the season they also work inside and they want to normalize it. <laughs> okay, that's it. Like crate training. Womp, womp. That's it. That's all it is. I was like, so you just want it to be normal, so you do it all the time. Yep. All right. Well, I was sort of hoping there would be a better reason than that. Like these are special lights, right? It helps with the refresh yeah. rate on their eyes. Yeah, we want to do. I guess they do walkthroughs in there during the season, so they want to do their walkthroughs there during mini camps, etc. So it just normalizes walkthroughs in the bubble as opposed to outside. Okay. That's all I got for you. I, I kind of thought the answer to that would be more interesting. It was not. Here's a couple of other observations. I was there when you got that answer. So huh? when you said this, I thought you got like more. Oh, no, it was just that. No, it was just that. <laughs> that was it. That was the extent of it. Uh, you want to start with, an, with uh, a small observation that you couldn't help but notice. Brady and I looked at each other like, did we just see that? You know who was Michael Dixon was hitting bombs with his foot. I mean, just crushing punts. And is he working out with another punter so you can really see the no, difference? No, but you just okay. like the ball explodes yeah. off his foot. It's crazy. And I've seen other punters. I mean, look, they're all NFL punters. They're great at it. But it is nuts when he goes and just really delivers one. You just you it it's different. He mm. does have a different kind of leg. It's pretty cool. I uh, watched uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba torch Devin Witherspoon on a deep ball down the left sideline. That was kind of exciting. And then DK uh, had a deep ball catch on the very next, uh, maybe two plays later over somebody that I, you know, some undrafted guy that I didn't know. But first of all, Smith and Jigba is so smooth. I said earlier, and I, and I almost stopped myself as I was saying it, that you always notice him doing something. I don't know that you always notice him. He sort of slides without being noticed. As I was saying it, I almost stopped myself. Because he's, you can kind of like forget about him because he's smooth, subtle, et cetera. And then he's just open, makes a catch. Like that's just kind of what he does. And then, you know, torch Devin Witherspoon down the left sideline, which was pretty darn cool. DK, you notice. He is just a completely different athlete from everybody else out there. And when you're watching, you're just like, how does anybody do anything against that guy? Like he's just so fast, physical, strong, 
large, like all of it. He puts it all together. It's really, he's just in a completely different class. Uh, I already mentioned Derek Hall and his knees. Um, the other thing I've noticed about him, I think I mentioned this before, but I saw it again yesterday. When they do these drills, and at the end, they've got to hit a bag, like one of these like tackling dummy bags. Mm-hmm. All the guys kind of hit it with their arms, and it goes down and pops back up again, right? He hits it with both arms, and it just, the sound it makes, the force he hits it with, it's just different from even all the other outside linebackers who are all pretty big, physical, athletic dudes themselves. It looks different when he hits it. I don't know if that translates to anything, too. but it is nuts. Uh, you know who had a great practice again? Mike Jackson. I'm telling you, he's My- not going down without a fight. Well, and you know, we sort of mentioned this yesterday, right, when you uh, brought up that Devin Witherspoon was doing some work inside at nickel. Now, some of that is because uh, Kobe Bryant's on the sidelines. Kobe might want to find his way off the sidelines and onto the field because they've done this before where on third downs and nickel situations, et cetera, they bump somebody inside and bring in. They did it with Jeremy Lane and somebody else at some point, right, where they bump someone inside and bring in another outside corner rather than just bringing in a nickel guy. And if I'm Kobe Bryant, I'm watching what Mike Jackson's doing, and I'm watching the fact that Devin Witherspoon's going to be out on the field and going, e, uh, I'm going to want to get myself out there on the practice field real quick and remind people, as you did yesterday, Mora, that he did have a bunch of sacks, and he did have a couple of interceptions, and he did force a bunch of fumbles last year. But right now, I mean, you just can't help but notice Mike Jackson whenever he's out there at a pick for a touchdown. He just... He just looks, and that was off Geno, so it was a real pick. Like that one actually counts, right? Because Drew Locke's been throwing plenty of them. <laughs> Giving away. Uh, saw a lot of Ulu with the ones. Dre Jones, maybe it's the number fifty-five. He looks like an outside linebacker. He doesn't look like a defensive end. He doesn't look like a defensive lineman. Just my personal. Just when you see, you're like, oh, that's not very big. Maybe that's fine, and maybe when you put him on the edge in this system, it'll work out great. I'm not saying it's a bad thing necessarily, but I think you'll be surprised that he's not quite as big as maybe Was you thought he, he would be. the guy that I remember Schneider saying he plays big? Yeah, maybe. Or is that a different... I don't know. You know who is big is Mike Morris. He's big. Uh, Jake Bobo catches everything. Catches ev- he, everything. If it is near him. Jake Bobo will catch the ball. I went on with Bump and Stacy yesterday to talk about camp observations from uh, Tuesday. Yeah. And um, that's who uh, Bump says that's his man crush. He was asking me all about Bobo. Yeah, I mean, he's I not he, fast. And I said before <laughs> yesterday's practice that he catches everything. But I told him that you guys have. Yeah. So. Yeah, you have to understand how hard it is for me to compliment this guy. He went to <laughs> Belmont Hill. I don't think I've ever said anything nice about a human being who went to Belmont Hill. That's how ill I think of that school or that high school that was my rival. But I, uh, I'm pretty impressed. Like he's just he catches everything. It's remarkable. He's he's pretty fun to watch out there. I got to tell you, I don't know if he makes the team or not, but I notice him a lot more than I notice D. Eskridge. And I know everybody else is gaga about him. I'm not saying he's not doing those things. I just haven't seen them. Maybe it's happening when I'm not looking. And I hope that's true, by the way. I'm not rooting against D. Eskridge. I hope he has unbelievable success with his speed, et cetera. That would be awesome for this team. I do have one other observation, but I want to get to it with Brock, who will join us next. We'll do that and then dig back into the Mariners. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710.